You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of What the Heck on MMAFighting.com. My name is Mike Heck. Appreciate you checking out the program this week, especially since there's no UFC card this weekend. A rare weekend off for the biggest fight promotion on planet Earth. It is Independence Day holiday weekend here in the United States. And, you know, not that we can really go out and do much with everything going on, but between those five cards at the UFC Apex that started May 30th, and then wrapped up this past weekend with Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. I mean, the timing is perfect for a weekend off to sort of let it breathe and then we can get ready for Fight Island, which kicks off July 11th, UFC 251, but a week and a half away. Three title fights on that card, headlined by Kamara Usman versus Gilbert Burns for the welterweight title, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway for the featherweight title, and then Piotr Jan versus Jose Aldo for the vacant Bantamweight title. Main card is great. Undercard is great. The other three cards, July 15th with Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige. That's a great card. We got Joseph Benavidez and Davison Figueiredo battling it out. Rematch for the vacant Flyweight title on July 18th. And then July 25th is headlined by Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. So a lot to be excited about when it comes to Fight Island. We'll be talking about... Fight Island across the board later on with our first guest of the show. But like, like I was saying earlier, this past Saturday's card was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. UFC on ESPN 12 got the all-time classic with Poirier and Hooker. To me, I talked about this in Between the Links, that's the fight of the year. No disrespect to, to Zhang Weili and Yuadi and Jacek. That fight was absolutely bananas. But the way I see it, if we're having a debate week after week like this about... What's the fight of the year? Is this fight of the year? Was that fight of the year? This is a great problem to have, right? I mean, that fight between Poirier and Hooker was incredible. And the fight between Zhang Weili and Yuana and Jacek, incredible. Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos, incredible. Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson, incredible. We've had a lot of incredible fights. We really have. But Poirier Hooker, kudos to both of you guys. We had Mike Perry back in the win column. He was a huge story coming into the event. And coming out of that event, picked up a win over Mickey Gall, Maurice Green, crazy submission win, Kama Worthy, crazy submission win, Julian Arosa, crazy submission win, Kay Hansen, great submission win. We had some big knockouts from the likes of Tana Bozier and uh, Takashi Sato. There was a lot to like about this event, and we're going to talk all about it this week on What the Heck. Let's run down the lineup, get to our first guest. Wrapping things up this week, the aforementioned Julian Arosa. I mean, what... A story this guy is two stints with the UFC released a total of three times in that span one and four in the promotion he's on the ultimate fighter he's on the contender series and he gets another shot with the UFC on less than a week's notice to fight one of the featherweight division's top prospects in Sean Woodson guy who was undefeated and he finishes him via Darsh Choke in the third round. I really, really, really enjoyed this conversation with Julian Arosa. I think you guys will as well. So we'll check in with Juicy J a little bit later on. Maurice Green, the crochet boss, will join us following his out-of-nowhere submission win over John Vellante in the featured bout this past Saturday. We'll talk about that. 
We'll talk about Tanner Bozier calling him out and much more. For the last couple of weeks, people have been hitting me up, telling me that after his first appearance on What the Heck, they are now big fans of Kama Worthy. The Death Star returned to action on Saturday. He took on Luis Pena, gets another finish, this time via submission, and now he's back on the show, and I will tell you this, it is glorious, ladies and gentlemen. Kama Worthy is fantastic. But kicking us off, it has been a while since we have had him on, a fellow born and raised Bostonian. We're going to talk to John Anik, and I thought he was absolutely sensational on Saturday night with the calls, post-fight interviews, he knocked it out of the park. And now he gets ready to head to Fight Island very soon. So let's check in with the great John Anik. All right, we move ahead to our next guest. In fact, he was the very first guest in the history of this program, and this is long overdue to get him back on. John Anik, play-by-play voice for the UFC, Anik and Florian podcast. And I don't know what was more of a talking point on Saturday night, Max Holloway's hair or the mustache of John Anik. It was oh. all over social media, but uh, John, good to see you, man. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you, man. You've been killing it since joining MMAfighting.com, so I'm happy to see that. But yeah, the mustache thing, you know, us play-by-play guys, we're trying to sort of fall firmly underneath the radar, and I can grow a full beard in 48 hours. So I didn't really even notice that the mustache was a little bit thicker than normal, uh, but now certainly we have to go... E. Casey Leiden style and uh, go like complete <laughs> mustache in Abu Dhabi. So that's the plan. There you go. And we haven't uh, we haven't really spoken like this since before the April 18th iteration of UFC 249 was postponed. And you've got to call some big ones over the last couple of months. And, you know, I, I guess my first question is, what has it been like from a from a broadcasting perspective, going from full arenas, capacity crowds to 15,000 seat arenas with no one to fill the seats and then to the UFC apex? Well, Jacksonville was a lot different than Vegas has been. We did not have the hockey plexiglass in Jacksonville, so our every word was being heard by the fighters. It was interesting to talk to Dustin Poirier after the fight to hear from him that he seemed to hear most of what we were saying and said it was echoing off the walls. So that kind of is what it is. I mean, I am trying to be a little bit more measured at times when I'm relaying corner man advice or things that I think would be blatant in terms of a fighter wanting to hear what we have to say. But that's been the biggest part of the adjustment for us. Certainly when I got to go take a piss, it's a lot nicer that I don't have to navigate fans and things like that. But I miss the fans dearly. I've said to you and others that the fans are a performance enhancer for the announcers. It's not a crutch, right? But it's certainly something you lean into when you have the benefit of a live event audience. So I can't wait till we have fans again. But At this point in this climate, I don't think we'll see fans in 2020. And I think I speak for a lot of my broadcast partners when I say we've gotten pretty conditioned to to calling fights in empty arenas. One thing that I've noticed, and uh, like I, I have three brothers, and none of them were MMA fans at all. Like they casually watch. I have a little brother who just like watches it just because he likes to to bet on anything. So he bets on fights, which I'm sure you can appreciate. But I think all three of them throughout this process, because of the empty arena and getting to really hear what happens in a fight outside of the crowd, like from the breathing to the strikes landing to, to, you know, receiving a body shot, they've really grown to appreciate the sport a lot more than they did before this all began. Have you sort of noticed that as well, that people are really starting to, I guess, appreciate the sport more now that there's no fans and they get to really feel like they're in there in a way? 
Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of good points there. I mean, the Poirier hooker numbers, the early returns are that we did a great number there. And my social media is a pretty good direct indicator when I get it off the air, depending on how many mentions I have. I have a pretty good idea as to what our television rating was. So I think there's been some fan retention. I think guys like your brothers who are maybe watching us in early May, watching UFC 249, now they're tuning in every week. So I think the question for me is how much of that audience are we going to be able to retain once these other sports? are back up and running, but it's hugely encouraging, obviously, and the fighters deserve all the credit. I think the 25-foot octagon is getting more credit than it deserves. The fighters, <laughs> I think, deserve a lot of the credit. I mean, certainly, the numbers suggest that there are more finishes in this uh, little guy, but the athletes have really delivered. I don't think training camps have been compromised the way a lot of people felt like they would be, so you're still getting high-level mixed martial arts, and uh, you know, as much as I miss my kids, I've been thankful to have a front-row seat for most of it. There you go. And I have to say, John, you've, you've been a part of a lot of events over the years. Your voice is synonymous with some of the, the, the best fights and the biggest moments in the history of the sport. And you always do a great job. But to me, I thought this past Saturday night was was one of those nights for you that we're going to be talking about for a long time. Like from the calls to the post-fight interviews, most notably with, with Maurice Green and Mike Perry. I thought it was really incredible. So I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about specific nights and specific cards, but when the night ended and you're like heading back to the hotel, did it feel like it was one of those special nights in your career? Well, it means a lot to hear you say that. And yeah, I mean, I think it feels special. We can sort of have a tendency to not enjoy the fruits of our labor and just spin it forward to the next show and bury it as quickly as we can because there's so much work that has to be done sometimes two weeks in advance to get ready for the next show. But, you know, my boss, Zach Candido, called me a couple days after the show and said how happy he was with the post-fight interviews. I don't always get that phone call, so that meant a whole lot to me. But a lot of it is rooted in the preparation, right, in knowing the stories intimately of guys like Kama Worthy and Maurice Green so that when they win a fight, you know what the context is. And I didn't know that the crochet boss was going to be that emotional after the fact, but I do know that him moving his family to New Mexico, Mike, was contingent upon the win bonus on winning that fight, right? So his kids are starting school in a month, right? I mean, these are big decisions, right? And it's not like his, his son is three years old. His son is eight or nine years old, right? There are lives that are impacted by the outcomes of these fights. And so I was very happy with with for Maurice to have that moment and that he was able to sort of, um, you know, share his, his story with everyone. And for comma worthy, bro, it's like his gym in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, hopefully it gets a boost from this, but it was an inch away from closing during this pandemic. So these are the stories, uh, that mean a lot to me. A play by play guy is charged with a lot of things over seven hours of a live event. But number one for me is trying to humanize these athletes so that people out there give a rip. And uh, I think at least when it comes to Maurice and Kama, uh, their fan bases took a nice swell this weekend. So, uh, yeah, it was a special show. And and Poirier, obviously, uh, you know, cementing his Hall of Fame legacy in my mind. It, w- it was a great event. Yeah, and this will be the last question about broadcasting because I'm a broadcasting geek and I love having I know these conversations. Are. But, uh, you know, you've been in the game for a long time now on the broadcasting side. It's been around seven or so years for me, and it's kind of a lost art in this industry. And I see it a lot with some of the up and coming guys that when these moments are happening and these stories are being told, whether it's in the fight itself or when you're just speaking to the fighters, to know when to sort of like lay out and just like let the moment happen. The silence can sometimes be louder than your actual words themselves. You know what I mean? And I think you did such a great job at that on Saturday night, John. I mean, that's something that I feel is is a lost art in this industry. 
Well, I appreciate it, man. Sincerely, I really do. Television and radio are different beasts, right? This is a television call. And even if you don't have crowd noise, you have to let certain moments breathe and be comfortable in your own silence. Even if you look at the interview with Platinum Mike Perry, right? And thankfully, I got great producers who laid out as well. It's not like they were telling me that I had to intervene at any point during that interview. But we're witnessing gold, Mike Perry versus the tax man, right? This was perfect, right? There's no reason for me to say anything. And I do think if you're able to check your ego and be a good listener, um, then it can pay off in a live TV setting. So to have someone like you acknowledge it a few days after the fact uh, is not lost on me. But uh, yeah, I would be lying if I said it's not on to Fight Island. I mean, I do have no choice but to bury these quickly. I'm doing July 11th and July 15th, two shows in five days. Um, So we have turned the page, my man, to say the least. Yeah, I do want to ask you, we'll go on to Fight Island, I promise. No, of uh, course, of course. Yeah, because the last time you were on, we discussed briefly about Zhang Weili versus Yuani and Jacek, and you said that was the best fight that you've had the privilege to sit cage side for. And since then, we've seen Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. What a wild fight that was. And as good as that was, not sure if it really eclipsed the Strawway title fight, but Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier, that one might have done it for fight of the year for me. Like I watched both of those fights back to back on Monday. And I'm leaning towards Poirier Hooker, maybe just because both guys are so close to being finished. That could change tomorrow, John. But you called both of those fights. Do you think Poirier versus Hooker surpassed that one? All right. So I will answer that question. But first, I just want to say for Josh Emmett and Shane Burgos, right, a three rounder versus a five rounder. Had that fight been a main event over 25 minutes, which it easily could have been. That fight might be in the conversation as well, but I think it's hard. Even Vicente Luque versus Nico Price, a three-round fight that ends quickly. It's hard to hold up in the fight of the year conversation. I think, excuse me, Mike, the biggest difference for me was that when it went to the scorecards for Zhang Weili and Yuan Yeon Jacek, we didn't know who won, and there was a belt on the line. And even though I thought Zhang Weili probably won the fight, it was wicked close, whereas in Poirier Hooker, Over the final 10 minutes, Dan Hooker really did fade, and it was all heart for him to power through that exhaustion and see the final horn. So I didn't know that we had the ebb and flow over the final 10 minutes in Poirier Hooker. For me, that makes it hold up was Zhang Wei Li and Ioana Yim Jacek, and I can't get past Ioana's forehead and her fighting through that. So the ladies have not been dethroned in the fight of the year conversation for me. Uh, And again, I, I have more respect for Dan Hooker than anybody almost in the fight game. I mean, that dude I put on a pedestal, but, uh, I just think that after the war with Felder, just that round five, man, he just had nothing left, you know? Yeah. And uh, what's what's great about a fight like that is that he, although Dustin Poirier won, I feel like Dan Hooker's stock rose quite a bit in that fight. And having a guy like Justin Gage, you saying, great fight, you deserve a seat at the big dog table. That's got a that, that's huge for a guy like Dan Hooker, even with the loss. If there's a silver lining anywhere. There it is. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think some people suggest that maybe Dan Hooker doesn't have a championship ceiling now. I'm not willing to go that far. He has fewer miles on the tank than Poirier. He's still a guy who I think is a force to be reckoned with in this division. I just think that when you go through a fight like he did against Edson Barboza, his team made him take eight or nine months off. Then he goes through the war with Paul Felder. He was willing to turn around and fight Poirier May 16th. Right. Thankfully, it ended up being June 27th. But I do believe when you go through those type of fights, the more time you can take off in between, the better it can be. So I think a hooker Poirier rematch down the line would be super competitive. Um, And again, I think Eugene Behrman will make some improvements and modifications with Dan Hooker. Um, But the cardio abandonment to me was really just pure exhaustion and maybe just turning around a little too soon after that Felder war in late February. 
Absolutely. And uh, now it is on to Fight Island for you. It all kicks off July 11th, UFC 251. And, you know, talk about a guy whose stock rose during the Vegas residency. Gilbert Burns gets a big win over Tyron Woodley. He jumps up to the top contender spot at 170 and now has a chance to become a world champion when he faces Kamara Usman in the main event. And I think it's so crazy that like a year ago, I think it was August of last year, yeah. He's fighting Alexei Kunchenko, and now he's about to go to Fight Island and fight for a world title. Like, Dorino has a huge task ahead of him, but, man, he's become one of the best stories in the, stories in the sport, has he not? Dude, you, you, I mean, absolutely. What an improbable run to, to welterweight prominence, right? This is a guy who got knocked out by Dan Hooker in the summer of 2018, and had that not happened, maybe he wouldn't have put his focus into the welterweight division. It's hard for me to talk about this fight without just thinking about the friendship between Kamara Usman and Gilbert Burns, right? Because Kamara has cornered Gilbert before. Like, they're teammates, they're longtime teammates, they're friends, and I do think that it is a part of this fight. When Kama Worthy knocked out Devontae Smith last year and turned in what was on paper the biggest upset of the year, I think part of that was a byproduct of familiarity, that he was so comfortable with Devontae Smith that he was just not at all phased by the environment or the pressure or the UFC debut. He felt like it was a sparring session. So, for me, that's a disadvantage for the incumbent for the champion right my some people would say it's it's neither here nor there it's not an advantage for one guy or the other but i think for kamaru who's 11 and 0 in the ufc he was untouched before the colby covington fight now he's fighting a guy that knows his every move so i think it was hugely smart for kamaru to get the hell out of south florida to go to trevor whitman who is the consensus best in the game right and really try to get a change of scenery and focus on turning gilbert burns into an enemy because every time there's been an enemy in the ufc kamaru usman has dominated that party um i think it's going to be a kickboxing match you know i think kamaru probably doesn't want to mess around too much in the guard of the great Gilbert Durinho Burns. And uh, some people say Burns is the better striker. I'm not so sure, but I think it's going to be a kickboxing match. Yeah, I can't wait for that fight. Three total, three title fights total on the card. We got Usman versus Burns. We got Volkanovski versus Holloway in a rematch for the featherweight strap. And then we have Piotr Jan versus Jose Aldo for the van, for the vacant bantamweight title. All of them have very interesting storylines attached to them. But if you had to, to, to pick one, John, which one of these three title fights, I guess, fascinates you the most definitely the rematch between alexander volkanovsky and max holloway because when we sat down with volko before the first holloway fight he sort of had this feeling like a lot of guys do coming into their first ufc title fight against a long reigning champion that he was going to have to beat max holloway twice now i'm not saying that eugene behrman and the city kickboxing guys held back necessarily the first time around but they knew they were going to have to beat this guy twice so perhaps a lot of people are focusing on the Holloway adjustments and not thinking about Volkanovski's game plan and how he might approach a second fight differently. So fascinated to see what the consensus greatest featherweight of all time, Max Holloway, can do to try to force the issue and make this a different fight. Because even though he did rally late, one of those judges had 50 to 45 for Volko. He gave Volkanovski all five rounds. And I kind of saw it that way, too. I mean, I maybe there was a round for Max in there late, but I saw an argument that Volkanovski had a clean sweep that night. So Hol Holloway's got to make a lot of adjustments. I think Volkanovski will come with a, a tweaked game plan plan as well and uh just absolutely fascinated by championship rematches anyway and then of course for Piotr Jan what a stud man you know if he can beat Jose Aldo to begin the Jan era uh no better way to do it so yeah as as much as I have to do hurdle wise to get to Abu Dhabi in terms of nasal swabs and everything else as you can see I, I can't wait to get there and see these fights play out on the island 
Yeah, the whole, the whole card's really good. You got Andrade versus Nami Yunus, too. You got Amanda Hebas versus Paige Van Zandt. The yep. featured prelim on that card, Vulcan Ozdemir versus Yuri Prohashka. Good Lord, man. You get to call that fight? I'm so excited for that one. Yeah, there's a lot of hype behind that young man. And Vulcan Ozdemir is a totally different guy than he was a couple years ago, physically, mentally. Um, so that's a great fight and, and really is one of our deeper pay-per-views. I think we're all going to look back at UFC 249 and think, man, how is that not at least on paper, the card of the year. But again, you're talking about five main events on this pay-per-view, three title fights, championship, triple headers are pretty rare in the UFC. I think six or seven times all told. And then he boss Van Zant certainly is a headline worthy fight for an ESPN fight night. And then the rematch between Nama Yunus and Andrade feels like a title fight to me. So we're absolutely loaded. The weird thing for me, Mike, and I know you'll appreciate this. Dude, my call time is 1 a.m. local time in Abu Dhabi, <laughs> right? When we went in September, we catered to the Abu Dhabi audience, right? So it was in their realm. This time around, we're cater catering to the American TV audience, 10 p.m. Eastern pay-per-view. So 3 a.m. first fight, bro. So we'll be sleeping all day, waking up in the middle of the night and cracking a mic at 3 o'clock in the morning. Caffeine's a powerful thing, but... Uh, it is, it's going to be interesting at 3.05 a.m., I can assure you. There you go. True or false, the most under-the-radar fight on Fight Island is Davison Figueroa versus Joseph Benavidez. I think so, because I could sit here and talk to you about Calvin Cade or Dan Ige until I'm blue in the face, because in some other media I've done, I've been asked, you know, what's the off-the-radar fight that you're most exciting for? excited for? I feel we're mentioning a main event, but Cade or Ige is a great fight, and to see two featherweights who are willing right now to put their candidacy on the line against each other with all that momentum. I just have a lot of respect for those guys because the loser, two-year setback potentially in terms of your championship aspirations. Any way you slice it, Shane Burgos loses to Josh Emmett, two-year setback in terms of your championship aspirations. But yeah, Benavidez, Figueredo, I think it's more competitive than uh, than the odds makers suggest. I saw Benavidez as a two-to-one underdog. I think he deserves more respect than that. And even though he was the guy who is probably guilty for the headbutt happening, it was a, a factor in the fight. So we'll see if Figueredo can make weight. Hopefully he can. He's an absolute monster at 25 but there's an asterisk. You have to make the weight to be the monster at 25 and uh, cautiously optimistic that he will. Yeah, Cater, Cater's hilarious. I, I spoke with him the other day and he shot me a text like right after the fight car was announced. It was like, when you when you post everything in the start times, is that right? Does that mean I'm fighting ah. at like 6 a.m.? Yeah. I was like, yep. I was like, I guess I'm right. I'm like, that's what the thing showed on the broadcast when you guys are announcing the card. But yeah, you know, there you are. Get ready, man. But uh, obviously very exciting stuff. And Honestly, John, to, to see what the UFC has done over these last few months, because let's be honest, there there weren't a lot of people overly enthused at the beginning of this all that they were even doing the right thing. And I didn't, you know, I didn't go on Twitter and start slamming the UFC or anything like that. But I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have my reservations. They proved me wrong. They proved a lot of people wrong. So to be a part of this train that has just kept on moving during the craziest year that I've been alive for, what has that been like for you? It's been a wild ride. I mean, I would be lying if I said there wasn't some anxiety for me in early April when I was wrapping my head around getting from South Florida to Lemoore, California, given what the climate was back then. But if you're Dana White in the UFC brass, you have to be bullish. You have to not fear failure. 
managing risk the whole time, but you have to be willing to fail to try to execute in this climate. And I sound like a broken record when I talk about the UFC as this well-oiled machine that deals with all these different global challenges and variables wherever we go, losing a fight day of, Amanda Nunes, you know, pulling out a Robert Whitaker a few hours before we're to go live. People have no idea the live production ramifications that we've dealt with in the past. And even though this, this global pandemic is unforeseen, I just felt like if any organization was going to figure out a way to get shows off the ground, it was the UFC. And even though we don't have some of the obstacles that the other sports leagues have, it's still a challenge to get a show off in this climate. And we've done 20% of our live event schedule. We've done eight of 40 events from May 9th to June 27th. So uh, there have been a few positive tests here or there, but I think the promotion deserves credit. And I'll admit, and maybe you saw this on my Instagram this morning, I'm a little bit surprised that the other sports leagues not only haven't solicited opinions from the UFC or followed suit with the UFC. But how about acknowledging Dana White and giving the guy and his executives some credit for getting shows off the ground in a climate where other people have been massively passive and have had their trepidation maybe get in the way of uh, getting off the ground? Uh, You know, I just I think these other organizations need to look at the UFC and say, man, I know we have teams and things like that. But why why are they having success? And we're still trying to figure out how to get one show in the camp. Yeah, it's just it's it's crazy to see what they've done. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, more people are watching now, which is great. And hopefully as these fight cards continue to go on, because they've not there hasn't been a dud event yet. They've all been really good. Even the ones, you know, a lot of people were poo-pooing the the Calvio versus I card. But that turned out to be really, really good at the end of the day. It's never judge a book by its cover, John. I think that's what we've learned through this whole thing. Dude, you're so right. We could do 25 minutes easily just talking about (laughs) the prelims from that Poirier hooker card. You know what I mean? You got all these guys, these underdogs, the Julian Rosa story, you know, riding his bike in Vegas, hoping to get a call one and four in the UFC and goes out and beats a guy as a plus 400 underdog. It truly is the land of the unpredictable, the theater of the unknown. And uh, the NFL better get back soon because you know me, you know, the NFL is king, but the greatest sport in the world might be taken over if, uh, if football doesn't come back soon. Yes. Perfect segue. Cam Newton, New England yes. Patriots. Big news. Very interesting move for both parties. What do you think? I think the Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, was always going to try to get a a really mobile quarterback once the Tom Brady era was over. So we'll see if Cam Newton can beat out Jarrett Stidham for the job. I think he'll win the job if he's healthy and ready to go. And I also think Cam Newton can be coachable and can fall in line and can adhere to the playbook and be a good soldier. And if not return to the MVP level, um, certainly help the Patriots win the AFC East and be viable. The one thing you knew about Bill Belichick, that he was not going to punt on the season. And when Brian Hoyer is your backup, you're punting on the season, right? He's the worst backup in the NFL. If anything happens to Jared (laughs) Stidham, Brian Hoyer is your quarterback. And that puts you in a position where you are uh, not going to be making the playoffs. So I couldn't be happier. Hopefully Cam Newton is healthy. And uh, with respect to uh, his fellow Auburn guy, Stidham, I hope Cam Newton wins the job. Yeah, I hope he can check his ego at the door, you know. Just keep uh-huh. the, keep an open mind. You know, we've seen some of these big names come in and then like two weeks into camp, they're just like, nope, right. Can't do this. So well, it's low risk. And if they cut him early, maybe uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised if you're asking me today. Do I think he wins the job? I think it's like a 55, 45 proposition. I'm not sure, you know, if he's going to beat out Stidham, but we'll see. I think he's the opening day starter. 
and then go from there. Oh, That's let's I go. Think. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> Me too. But uh, I can't thank you enough, John. You know, we could do this, like you said, for another couple of hours, no problem. But uh, you got some traveling to prepare for. So I want you to enjoy the time with your family before you head out. Safe travels. And uh, can't wait to hear you on these broadcasts, man. All the best to you. Thank you, buddy. I'll be in touch when I got boots on the ground and uh, continued success, man. Nobody happier to see it than me. Great stuff from John Anik right there. And like I said, as a guy who loves broadcasting, kind of a broadcasting geek, really into it, John was incredible on Saturday night. I wasn't just saying it because he was sitting across a computer screen from me. I, I really thought it was it was top notch. It really, really was. So big thank you to the great John Anik for coming back on the program. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Kama Worthy. He's going to join us to discuss his big win over Luis Pena over the weekend. And I will warn you ahead of time, doesn't really surprise me. I've been interviewing Kama Worthy for a long time. Kama was doing some multitasking. He was doing the interview and he was teaching a fitness class at his gym simultaneously. It's actually pretty hilarious. Always a blast chatting with the Death Star. This one was no different. Here he is. Kama Worthy back on What the Heck. All right, we have Kama Worthy back on the show, coming off his impressive third-round submission win over Luis Pena this past weekend at UFC on ESPN 12. Huge win for the Death Star, who's multitasking right now. He's doing an interview and teaching a class at the same time. How are you, man? No, I'll be back on Monday. I'm joking. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm good doing to- good, man. Can't complain. Well, it's good to see you, man. Congratulations on the win, and I'll be honest with you, sir. You winning the fight... Wasn't very surprising at all. You came into the fight winning six straight, but submitting Luis Pena, that surprised me a little bit and surprised a lot of other people. Maybe we're just maybe we're just casuals after all, Kama, but that <laughs> that that choke was absolutely nasty. The setup was brilliant. You're not just a knockout artist, are you? No, I mean like I like I said, like I, I I train out of I train in Pittsburgh. Like Pennsylvania has some of the best wrestlers in the world. I've done my whole career here fighting in Pittsburgh and Ohio. So I've, I've known me D1 wrestlers I've run into. <laughs> like, like, there's a D1 wrestler in every fucking corner where his ears are all fucking messed up and shit. So they're all over the fucking place. So you don't, not, you have to learn how to deal with high-level grappling fighting out of PA. Even if you are a high-level striker like myself, I still have to learn how to deal with that. So I have a couple of tricks that I work on, and um, that's one of them. Yeah, it wasn't uh, like a catch-as-catch-can guillotine choke like there were some modifications to it a little bit of a different angle a different grip and different position like how long have you had that particular choke in your arsenal so i have there's i have like three different ones depending on what the person does and and stuff like that um but i've my man like i said after my fight my man isaac Greeley. uh he, he um he's a, a mma coach out here he runs uh the mat factory they have they have like world-class wrestlers and grapplers up there and stuff, world-class fighters as well. Um, that's for Chris Dempsey, Don Mazzotta, um, Dalton, they all train out of there. And um, they're like our sister gym and stuff. I've been going there for at least like three or four years now, probably five years actually. And he showed me that a while ago because I, I was stopping it. I was stopping takedowns a certain way and he was showing me if I was really, instead of just pulling guard, like a lot of people jump for guillotine and pull guard. Like that guillotine is just used to make it that people don't feel comfortable applying pressure for the takedown or forcing to stand up. But if they keep pushing forward, then I just lock it up. And it actually, like what he did was actually the right thing to do. That should get you out of the submission. But the guillotine, it's like backwards. Like and it, it, it's on the wrong way. And it's like, oh, it, it locks up. And then like you either tap or you go unconscious one or two. So, I mean, so it's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive type of joke. 
Yes, you have to come up with some kind of nickname for that. Like Aljamain Sterling was able to pull up the, the Sulov stretch on Cody Stamen, and he called it the Funk Strudel. Do you have a, a yeah. name for that that you've been playing around with at all? Oh, shit. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because that's what everyone's seeing when that happened. Everyone's like, oh, shit, what the hell was that? So it was called the oh, shit. Even though, like, <laughs> um, who, who did it? Jordan Griffin. Jordan Griffin, his last fight, he fought in the card as me as well. His last fight, he did the same thing. He did the same exact same type of guillotine where they, they're pressed right. for that takedown. You trap them. They think they're safe. But in reality, they're going to end up choking themselves unconscious or tapping. Like it's, it's, a, it's a push for the wrestler. Hold on, that three. All right, get um 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 clean and press now with the weight, same weight. Yep, same same slow motion. Sorry, <laughs> you are the multitasker after all. I know um I know you were asses at the at the media day, but I spoke with Luis like ten minutes after I spoke with you heading into the fight, and he shared your enthusiasm for the matchup. He shared your enjoyment of Feely versus Jordan. And it was on this very program that he said that he was going to meet you in the middle and see who would drop first. And in the first round, kind of seemed to be the plan. But the second round, plans changed a little bit. Did anything at all surprise you in that fight? No. Um, the only thing I kind of kind of beat up myself for because I should have, like, I kind of like got into, like, I, I was trying something different. And that's how he was able to get the takedown off me. And I was really, like, I, I, like I, I made a, a thing on Instagram today and I gave myself a C plus for that performance because I was so worried about his darts that I didn't trust my own jujitsu. So when he got the side control, I didn't dig for the underhook and look the pressure up. I was trying to think about what not to do. Cause I didn't want to get, like, if I didn't want to go into side control, I mean, I didn't want to go for the underhook and he like pushed my head down and get the darts because his darts are wicked. And I was worried about that. And as I'm worrying about that, the motherfucker climbs a mountain. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I'm like, and I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm like, and then I went to blow out of it. And I'm like, okay, I'll give him my back. I'm cool with that. I know my back defense is solid. I'm okay with him being on my back. I'm like, I'll just let him wear out. But he was such a weird, his body was so weird. Like the length and stuff, like the pressure. He didn't apply the pressure where everyone else applies the pressure on my back that allows me to turn. He applied it to my hips. And I couldn't really move the way I wanted to. So it took me a lot longer to roll over and stuff. He was, like, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. But I knew, like, I don't, I mean, I think there's maybe like two or three guys or four, maybe five guys in the UFC that when I say, let's go strike, are going to be like, all right, motherfucker, let's go. Like, I mean, like, I mean, I, I know everyone sees, they watch and they go, oh, he doesn't look like he hits hard. It's, it's, it's not like, I mean, I've said it before after my last fight, I said I'm not like, I'm not like everybody else. Like, I'm just, the way that I strike, and like, I'm a thinker. I was so, I was so happy because Dominic Cruz said it. He's like, oh, you're a thinker fighter. Like, and Dominic Cruz was just giving me praises in my strike. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking cool shit. Because like, this my, the way, the setups and the traps that I set standing up and the, my comfortability of like being in danger at that time, like I just, like, like I, it's, we're in a fight. And I, I think that, that goes back to my training partners. Like I said, if you come into my gym, the academy, you're going to get fucked up and you're going to get used to being fucked up because we're going to go at you. So if you get used to that feeling, then when you're in the fight, it's not a foreign feeling for you. Like a lot of fighters, I see them in fights, they get pushed to that point where that guy's trying to take their head off. And they're like, oh shit, I've never been there before. I've been there like every twice, two or three times a week. My, my man's trying to kill me. It's <laughs> just the way it is. Yeah, it, it was mentioned on the broadcast, like the way that you were planting your feet in that first round, counter striking. Like you weren't bouncing back and forth. You just had your feet planted, and whatever he threw, you were already ready to come back the, the, with that. 
Yeah, the problem is he's freaking six four, and if I disengage too much, and then he blitzes. I'm on the outside, and he can he can just keep hitting me. It, it gives him the advantage. So I was like, "Fuck that!" Me and my coaches were like, "Be smart about your movements. Be like, have your allies on. That's like being alert." But he like just stay there. Make him come to you. Like, why well, try to hit him and then disengage? If I disengage, I can't hit him. He can definitely hit me because he he's much longer. So I like I I played the medium range instead. Like, that's why his kicks couldn't really get through. His jumping knees were really awkward because instead of playing back, trying to play the far back range, which I normally do, I played, I did what most people try to do to me when they fight me. I played the inside range and made him, like, I made him miss a lot. Like, that was a big thing, making him miss and making him feel really uncomfortable trying to punch me. That was that was the big thing I wanted to make sure I did because, like, when you, like, people don't really know, but when you, like, punch and miss, like, you ever hit a double in ball? And it's but in a fight when you hit a double in ball, that motherfucker punches you back. Like that's a big thing Dominic Cruz kept saying. He goes, every time he makes him miss, he hits him. And that's discouraging. Like that's my my head coach, Master White Fang. That's the biggest thing that he preaches is striking return, striking return, striking return. If you make them miss, you should make them, you should hit them. You don't have to kill them, but you should hit them because now their brain is like just their brain is setting a pattern of like reflexes. It's it's like you ever been walking down your steps? It's how oh, it's yeah. playing to me. You ever been walking down your steps at night and you think there's a step there and it's not and you go to step you and then you, and then you stop because your brain's kind of like oh shit let's recalculate everything I, that's what I like to have people have that type of feeling in the fight and you don't really have time to re the recalculate I'm I'm still hitting you I'm hitting you I'm hitting you you're worried about getting hit so I try to create that type of like like distraction in your brain and stuff so it's more of a mental thing than everything because again I'm 33. He's younger. He's like 26. He's younger. He's faster. He doesn't have nowhere near as much energy. He doesn't have much stress and wear and tear. So I have to beat him up here rather than physical. A C plus though, like, listen, you, you fighters yeah. are all the same, man. You're humble and you're so self-critical. Is this a legit C plus or is this like a humble C plus? That's a C plus. C plus. It can't be a B. Like he did. He cut through my guard twice like butter all because I was worrying about shit. And then when he, I knew he, in his last fight, he got that fucking omoplata and I, I, I worked on that. I said, I'm going to limp arm. I was supposed to limp arm, step back and throw a straight up knee because he shot right in just like I knew he would. And I didn't. Instead, I went and tried to push the guillotine. and almost got fucking Von Flucho. That was me being greedy. I knew the guillotine wasn't going to come until later and I didn't quite have it. So I still tried to push it. So it's a, it's a, B, it's a C, C plus, C plus. <laughs> So, so, so is it fair to say that the Devontae Smith win was was more satisfying? Did I mean did you grade no. that one a little higher? Or is this one more satisfying? The, the, the Devontae Smith fight, I, I got a um a B, a B plus in that one. That was a B plus. B okay. plus rating. Like that was that was good. Like, I mean, I did I jumped in a little bit of time. I didn't check the late kicks enough for my liking. Uh, but that was a B plus. All my traps were working and stuff. You know, every I did everything I wanted to do in that fight. But I really didn't even get started in the Devontae fight. It just happened to happen. Like he he kind of ran into the trap early than I thought he would. So that was a B plus. Yeah, that I, I need I like that I didn't like the display like my um my grappling. It kind of looked like I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just overthinking what he was capable of. And I have to have a little bit more faith in myself when it comes to being on the ground and stuff, which obviously I have. Because then everyone, because then I pull out the submission, everyone's sitting there all like fucking caveman SpongeBob and shit. I'm like, shit, like, like, I don't want people looking like that, like thinking I'm a one dimensional fighter because I'm not. I just enjoy hurting people, you know. And if you give me a submission, I'll take it. Like, I have, like, you give me your back. If I get to your back, you're fucked. Like, you can't put me on your back. 
you, you can't let me get a triangle and you can't like you know what I mean I have I have mad submissions that I like to that I like. I just usually it's just a time if I can see something like I, I for a second I was kinda of upset with myself for not rolling him over and punching him out. <laughs> Cause I like, finish, cause I like punching people better, but I know I, I knew it was so good. And I was, I was a little bit tired too. We were both tired with the third round. So I was like, now nah, I'm going to go for this. All right, hold on one second. Hey guys. So each of y'all grab a dummy. We're picking up on our shoulder. 10 slams. No, they're both the same way. <laughs> go ahead. So, uh, so yeah. you put, you posted a, a video on your social media the other day. It was of your kids watching the fight, and they were going absolutely yes. bananas. That has to be like the best feeling in the world, right? Yeah, man. I was at my man, my man Kirk, Kirk Brad. That's like a, he's like a big brother to me. Um, he, he takes care of the family while I'm going for the fights and stuff. Um, and he had my girl and the kids and my little baby, little Marley. She's acting like a maniac just because everyone else is acting crazy and all the kids and Kirk's kids. And yeah, it was it was fun, man. I I, I like seeing that. That makes it worthwhile, seriously. Like it makes it really worthwhile. One thing I had no idea about Kama was the fact that you were a model in the past. Like you're you're a good looking man, guy, I, but I, I had no I, idea that you were that you were modeling, bro. Like I, I, when I, I, when yeah, was that? I, I, it, that was way before I even started training. I, I, I moved to New York just to check it out. I was I was in Pittsburgh. I was bored. I didn't want to go to school. And I got offered some um, some modeling stuff here in Pittsburgh. I did it and I liked it. And then this lady said they had a model house in New York. So I moved up there and I moved to a model house. It was like me, like 12 other people. And she was mad fun. You got to go on castings, get some stuff. I was, it was cool. It was an experience, you know. And then the, New York was an experience in itself, like, just to see people differently. Coming from Pittsburgh, New York is just different. There's different culture, different people, a lot of a lot of different ways of seeing things. So I think that helped me out a lot as well. When was the last time you modeled for anything? Do you remember? Um, it was a, it was a long time ago, like really fucking a long time ago. But I'm not against the whole idea of it. I'm like, yo, if, if there's any companies out there you want to get me on your thing, you know what I mean? You, you can like kind of double up your market, you know, hit it. Get at me. Get at my management team, Jason House and them. You contact me personally. I'm all about bottling. I'm cool. Like scars, girl, chicks dig scars, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's precedence that we got some fighters uh, doing the modeling thing right now in the UFC. Oh, uh, yeah. That fucking Rocco, man. Rocco, he be on Ralph Moore. He be doing serious modeling shit. You got to plant your feet when you get it up. At the bottom? There you mm -hmm. go. You said you said something to the media that you've been saying since you beat Devonte Smith, and that's you don't you don't fight because you have this like dream of becoming a world champion. I mean, if it comes, that's cool, but you just want to be in exciting fights. And you said on Saturday night during your scrum, like you want Robbie Lawler versus Roy McDonald type of matchup. So, I guess who in your line of vision can can give you that kind of crazy war that you're seeking, Kama? What makes sense to you? Um, definitely, like, like I said, I definitely, I definitely, definitely want to get Azatar, as, um, Azatar, I mean, cause he, he has, he has a 90% knockout ratio. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, fuck. Oh, really? Okay. Like, that's the shit that gets me, it gets me up in the, in the morning to go jog 20 miles or some shit. So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's all the way on your shoulder, guys. That's, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. Um, uh, like I said, um, Yancey. Yeah, I've, 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 like I said, I'm for Yancey. He's just anybody that like fucks with the Diaz brothers is a fucking savage. Like, like I, I, I mean, I know Nate. 
uh, or he's um he's now he I don't think he get back down to fifty five. I would love to travel with him or Nick, Nick the wrong one, right? Yeah, Nick. I'm like if if you he's fucking huge, so there's no way he's getting back down to fifty five. I got to meet him at my last fight. Been a fan of his forever. I'm like that motherfucker never making a 55. But like I just they're, they're fun fights, man. You know what I mean? Like and like of course everyone wants to win, but I don't want to win. Like like there's some fires are just boring as fuck, man. Like. Dude, who wants to watch that shit? Like, like, how do you go home after winning a fight like that? And like, the crowd's booing you and shit. Oh man, I can't. I, I mean, I, I'd rather I'd rather fight guys or our fun fights. And I want to take my time and like get my proper place in UFC, but also get some interesting fights. So I mean, like, as a tar, I mean, like, I have two fights. He has one fight. Hopefully, they can make that fight freaking happen. I know the Khabib versus Gaethje cards coming up. I think that's gonna be on Fight Island. I mean, I know he trains with him. I mean, we could be on the card. It's another, it's another high-ranking lightweight as the main event, and I think I would be that would be a good way to do it or something before that. If Yancey, I know Yancey was supposed to fight, and his fight got canceled. So if we could mix it up in there, like either way, I think it'd be a, I think it'd be a lot of um a lot of fun. Yeah, I, like one of my roles for the website is I have to do a matchmaking column that drops like the Monday after the card. So I suggested. Lando Venata because one, it's a, a little bit of a step up in the rankings and it gets you close to the top 15. Not that you pro- probably particularly care about that, but Lando's a guy who's been known to get in a war or two throughout Bucks, his career. Bucks he's got Lando's some highlight real finishes, he's a, man. He's, a fun, he's, a, he's, he's definitely a fun, a fun fighter too. And like, it sucks because like all the fighters I like, I'm looking at fighting, I, I, I would respect like hell. Like I would, I would like really, I, I wouldn't have any dislike against even like with um, Pena. Like I don't have, so it sucks. And I don't even like sharing my like fight videos afterwards. <laughs> like I don't want to share like me beating up on like a trick old fucking people. I'm telling my students and my fans, I'm like, yo, don't be talking shit on them. Like, don't be, don't be talking no shit on like, but the, especially with the Devonte thing. I'm like, don't talk. Like that's my man. Now Pena was so cool from the beginning to the end. It was nothing but respect. So someone wrote something like um, on one of my posts the other day, and I, I made him take it down. I'm like, yo, don't, don't this. I, he wasn't disrespectful at all. You don't be disrespectful. Like I'm like, we already fought. It's past, and we move on from that shit. Do that again. Is there is there someone like you, you mentioned Diaz? Is there someone in that division that you hope that you get to fight someday because it will give you everything that you're looking for in that department besides Diaz? Like, is someone that can make fifty five? I guess. Um. Nah, I mean, like, like, cause, cause I, I, I don't really like calling out like top 10, 15 guys and shit, being shit like that. But of course, like the guy who's a fucking savage, who I've, I've been a big fan of forever, is Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee's a fucking monster. That guy's a complete monster. That would be one hell of a task. Like once I was to get to that point to like prepare for him and like I'd have to like go into the mountains to prepare for Kevin Lee because like I, a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people give Kevin Lee the credit he deserves. That motherfucker's an animal. Like he's a freak of nature. Like he, he's wicked. Like uh, um, and then obviously like Poirier and Hooker, like those type of guys. Like you know you get, get, you get near one of them like Somebody's fucking gonna die tonight, and I, I like those type of fights. Like I, I would like to like engage in those. So now I'll just look at the guys at at my more my level until I get there and shit. But again, if I get two more wins, you know I can I can I can make that jump. Again, it's just all about making sure I make that jump with the proper financial stability. <laughs> Cause like after after that like like that fight with Poirier Aaron and shit, you're like dog. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they made like ten times what I made, so they're like you know that's that's okay to do that type of shit. Like. 
So do you, are you on like a you're on a four fight deal? I assume right right now. Yeah. Okay, so one more fight, you're close. You could probably get to the re- renegotiation table, and then we can uh, we can start messing around with the Kevin Lee's. Yeah, man, I'm like, yeah, man, whatever. I'm just looking to get some corporate sponsors, Monster Energy Drink. I like, I love my man has a run once. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm gonna make a whole thing for him. I'm like, yo, get at me already. Let's go. He runs, he owns Triumph as well. I'm like, somebody needs to. And also, I forget what interview it was, but I, I, I made a talk to Fifty Cent and told Fifty Cent. To bring back those. You ever watch Power? You watch Power? No, I, um, watch Power. I, I haven't watched it yet. No. I'm pretty sure you heard of it. But they killed off my mad ghost in, in, in Power, and I told 50 Cent, I made a public service announcement. I'm going to make it here again. Yo, 50, Fast and Furious brought back 80 motherfuckers. Like, seriously. And the one that just came out, they had to be canceled because of Corona. They brought back the Asian dude that obviously burnt in the car crash. So if they can keep bringing people back, you can bring back freaking ghosts. And make some more power. We don't want to see no spinoff shit. That's garbage. I want to see power come back with Ghost. And you can bring back Angela too, because and that, that, those those are those are my characters. Those characters had a place in my heart. And when they both died, it pissed me off. <laughs> like you can ask my girl, I was mad as hell. Like that's garbage. I've never had been so connected to a character because like just the, just watching that show really gave me a little bit more drive and it, I think it kind of led me to this point in it, where I'm at in the UFC I tell people that all the time so when they when they killed him off it kind of pissed me off so 50 cent see this tag 50 hey, everyone tag 50 cent in this shit until he responds I want to see ghosts come back I'm not playing dude there we go yeah, I have I'll a feeling I have a feeling this part <laughs> would be clipped out for social media but uh Hell of a performance, man. I think you proved to a lot of people that you're a threat in a lot of different ways. You're on a roll right now, and I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that we're excited to see what's next for you and and your team. Like you pulled a Uriah Faber and use your time to put your team over on Saturday night. My, my boys, my boys are my boys are the shit, man. Like they are, and like I said, because we're in Pittsburgh, like we I don't think we get the proper recognition because we're a smaller gym. Like I mean, I'm in my gym now. My gym. Uh, oh shit! Hold on. You can like walk from one edge to the end of my gym in like a good like thirty seconds. You know what I mean? But we come in here and we do fucking work. Like we do serious work. We put in work. We have a we have a small group of guys and we have one on one coaching. I think that's what makes us more dangerous. Like every big gym start off as a small gym, and I try to tell fires that I'm like. Like, American top team just didn't start off with 80 freaking guys. Uriah Faber, um, Team Alpha Male, start out with him and, like, two other – you know what I mean? Like, that's how coach, that's how gyms start off. So you don't have to go to a big gym. Just get get the proper coaching, get the proper training, and, like, make it happen. And here in Pittsburgh, we have some of the best grapplers on the, in the world. Like, we do. Like, we have some of the best wrestlers in the world, and we can, we can adjust, and we, we, we have what it takes. And then, like, with myself and like, a lot of other striking coaches around here, I mean, like, we got it good, so – you don't have to go to big gyms if you're want to train. You want to be a professional fighter. Come on down to my gym, the academy. I'll put you in with the right direction. If, if you're if you can't make it out my way in the academy, I'll put you in the proper direction for a different gym that I know. I know all the gyms around here and stuff. So Pittsburgh, we got it out here. So time for Dana White to let us in. You're the man, comma. Congratulations on the win. All the best to you, sir. Thanks, brother. There you go. And there's certain fighters that when their management team reaches out to, to, to me to see if I want to interview certain fighters, there's certain names that get me fired up. Kama Worthy, one of those fighters, and he has been for a long time. And one of the cool things that I enjoy the most being a part of 
the MMA fighting team and being able to broadcast on a platform like this is I'm glad that people are starting to see what I've been saying for a while now. Like, Kama Worthy, I've been telling people, is just an incredible interview. He's just a lot of fun. He's very energetic, very intelligent, has lots of great things to say. Just super funny guy. And now you guys get to see it, and you got to see it again. Second time in three weeks, I believe, that he joined the show. So big thank you to the Death Star for the time. Hopefully he gets another fun matchup on the books sooner rather than later. Another big winner from Saturday night was Maurice Green, who was on the brink of being finished in the third round of that fight against John Volante, or at best, looking at a draw, but he comes out of nowhere and gets a tap. Like, no one saw it. No one saw it coming on the broadcast. You just saw Volante's hand tap. We're like, what? What the heck just happened? But it goes it goes down in the book as an arm triangle choke, and uh, the crochet boss kind of has a different bit of a take on it. So let's get the answers to those questions right now with Maurice Green. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining the show right now is the crochet boss himself, Maurice Green, following a third-round submission win over John Vellante in the featured bout at UFC on ESPN 12. Maurice, good to see you, man. How are you? Oh, man, you know, <laughs> you fight big, tough guys, it hurts. So uh, I'm good, man. Body, body feels good for the most part besides just the average things that hurt. And um, then we're going to heal up. Got some stitches in the face. We're going to heal up and get back to it. Well, congratulations on the win. It's been a, a few days for you to sort of let it all sink in and smell the roses a little bit. Outside of, uh, you know, the normal wear and tear of a fight, do the roses smell a little bit sweeter today? Yeah, all this hurts so good. Um, yeah, man, I went out there to get a W, and we got the W. You know, anything extra added would have been a bonus. I just want to need to go out there and get W. Stay active, look good, fight good. Yeah, I had, I had some opportunities in the fight. Um, it's a place that where we could have done things a little different, could have done things much better, but um, we got that every fight. It was uh, definitely an interesting fight, to say the least. Most of it took place on the feet, as expected. You were moving around a lot. You were very light on your feet. You looked in really good shape. How are you feeling early on in that fight compared to maybe the last couple? Um, it wasn't my cardio was never a question to be honest with you. I felt good um, breathing wise, but um, men those leg kicks added up over time, and um, yeah, they paid dividends later on in the fight for him. Um, I tried to do a Superman punch and just didn't <laughs> didn't work out for me, as you can see. He uh, he got the drop on me, encountered me, uh, which is the reason why uh, it's the reason why you saw me on my back, but. You know, I heard my corner saying, get to the cage and get up. Um, but he, he kept leaving that there for me. So I was like, hmm, I could try to squeeze down on it. I think he gave me the best that he had in that flurry. I didn't realize I was cut at the time, to be honest with you. Or that I had that many lumps on my head. I, I didn't think he landed that many, but that's that adrenaline. First round. You won on all three judges' scorecards. Things got a little dicey when John landed a nasty body shot. Pain was visible on your face, but you're able to fight through it and and get through the rest of the round and continue forward. How badly were you hurt from that shot? Uh, probably worse than my face showed. Uh, that was a good body shot. You know, kind of wanted me to curl up like. But I was like, no, we can't do it, Murray. Stand up. 
it's not like he, um, they were trying to get him to follow up, and um, he wasn't following up, so gave me some time to recover in between some of those shots. I'm going to, I'm going to lay this all out here. I'm going to try to do my best, uh, my best surveying of the scene. Cause the second round is more of the same. You're landing consistently. He lands a couple big shots, but you're able to win that round again on all three judges scorecards. And the third round, you sort of alluded to it. It's a little bit of a different story. There was the, the accidental eye poke, but as soon as the action resumed, you know, Volante counters the big shot that drops you. You're doing everything you can do to stay in there, to get back on your feet looking very bleak for you at the moment. It was looking like best case scenario for you. You were going to fight to a draw, but then, then Maurice, it happened and nobody even saw it. Like you shook up the whole MMA community. The entire UFC roster on Twitter was in disbelief and total shock. Maurice from your back, you slap on an arm triangle and he taps out like, holy cow. Like we were all collectively blown away by this submission can you walk us through the finish of the fight? Like, what is going on in your mind here? Um, if if I if I'm if I don't, if I'm correct, which I think I am, he had his hand on my neck. I know he put a lot of pressure. I was starting to lose my breath, and I'm. If I didn't do that, um, yeah, I need to get that pressure off my neck. So the first time I'm gonna try to get the pressure off the neck, neck and hold him, and so he puts it back. And the next time I'm like, you know what? Let's go for it. What happened? This is what I think happened. I don't think it's like. Like an arm triangle, you kind of can't get that pressure down because you're using your weight on top when you're doing an arm triangle, kind of. Um, but given the circumstances, I heard he had asthma. He had just blew his tank, I'm assuming, right? And then his nose and his mouth is in my, in my armpit, kind of. Not, not really in my armpit, but it's being smothered. He couldn't breathe. I mean, I've been choking him per se. But he couldn't breathe. So that's, that's the only way I can think about he, him submitting. <clears throat> he couldn't breathe and he, his head was um, jammed into my sweaty, sweaty, sweaty arm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody was, had, was, was shocked. Cocktail. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> just, just Everything was just so shocking. Like when he tapped, everyone in unison was like, what the hell just happened? Were you, when you felt the tap, were you like, were you saying what the hell just happened? Or did you know it was coming? No, I got up like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> I mean, that can be finished from the bottom. Very rarely. He, so I had a half guard. He tried to transition the mount. What you guys don't see is that this is a jiu-jitsu. You know, I'll able to shrimp my hips out and keep that leg. Um, if, if he would have got the mount, I wouldn't have had nothing. You know, I couldn't roll to the left where I had his arm trapped, right? Couldn't roll that way. I had to roll to his post, and he probably would have stopped me. It's just wild, man. There, 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 I know it wasn't like a choke per se, but there has to be like some sort of name for the submission now. Like, let, let's christen it here. Like, I asked, I spoke to Kama Worthy a little while ago. I asked him to name the choke he used on Luis Pena. He's calling it the oh shit. Like, just quoting him. So I suggested on Twitter, call it the slip stitch. What do you think? I like it. I like it. It's called. I like it. Called the slip. Uh, yeah, call it a slip stitch. I like that. You go with that. All right. So you are announced the winner via slip stitch. You're strutting, dancing to the backstage area, and then all of a sudden, 
emotion just catches up with you. Like everything that, at least from what I was seeing, everything that had been kind of built up, pushed to the side, leading into the fight, it just kind of all came pouring out. It was really incredible to watch. You know, how would you describe that moment as you're getting ready to, to talk to John Anik? Man, I was good. I'm feeling sure good. Didn't even think about, uh, didn't even think about what was the crying and all that stuff. It just, it hit me. I, <coughs> I, man, Grace, you just saved your job. But not only did you save your job, I think I had a pretty good performance all around. I went back and watched the fight. Um, for that little uh, dog cage we fought in, I'll say that um, from a very humble place. From a little dog cage we fought in, uh, I was able to really move and figure out a way to you know get around a lot of that. But um, John Vellante was also not moving as fast as some of these other heavyweights can move. So, um, you know, we got to get better. We got to get better. And, um, you know, when you go back and sit down with John Anik, like, I, I just couldn't hold it back, man. I tried so hard. Just tried, tried to trying to gut it out and they just came and came and came so I told him give me a minute John's about to say alright thank you for your time peace I'm like no I gotta say something I gotta say something so um, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on leading up to this fight and uh, we were able to get it done I mean a 24 hour drive to Albuquerque straight with two kids that, that's already <laughs> that's how fast we got there 24 hours drove in the car I gotta get there I gotta train so um, and then we were there, we train, 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 train. And they come out and win like this. I'll tell you. One the thing is so much sweeter. Yeah, I, I would say one thing you said during your post-fight media scrum with, with, with the members of the media after the fight was something that I've been wondering about you for a while because you and I have spoken a lot over the years and I feel like a lot of times you, I don't know what the correct word I'm looking for is, but you downplay a lot of the things that are happening heading into a fight. Like if people ask you if there's extra pressure, if you feel like your job's on the line, like you, you downplay it all, but it seemed, but you said to the media after the fight that you were feeling that the whole time. Is this typical for you? Or is this different for this one? I'll feel all that. Um, your job's always on the line. I feel like nobody's safe. Everybody's replaceable. Think of how many fighters want to fight in the UFC. You don't want to fight, uh, we'll, get, we'll get somebody who will. Oh, you don't want to fight, I got somebody else who will. So, um, yeah, you downplay because nobody, you won't want everybody to know that because they can make excuses for you, you know? Yeah. So, um, we chose to do this. Camps don't go, all camps aren't just easy breezy, right? Um, you know, you just, you get through it, man. Get through it. I got to feed my family at the end of the day, so that's that's where a lot of this comes from. I got to feed my family, so. Are you, are you able to talk about some of the things that were happening leading into the fight that were on your mind? Um, I won't go into detail, but, uh, you know, personal with my family, my kids, you know, um, just from real... Some real shit, man. Just some real shit that was going on. And could nobody say? Could nobody help me but me? You know. So. You know, it's just a fight at the end of the day, man. 
we go in there. There's two guys that fight. We got we got a set of rules, uh, the rules of engagement, and we fight. And that's what I went out and did, and um, felt like I left everything out there. And um, you know, I got a maybe questionable, controversial win, but guess what? It's going it's going down my record. The submission victory with a minute left in the fifth round. Or no, minute left in the third round. I didn't even know how much time I had left. And so that's no even idea. crazier. <laughs> I had no idea how much I, there was, I couldn't see a clock. And usually you see a clock somewhere. Couldn't see a clock. I didn't know how much time I had left. But they said there was a minute left. I was like, oof, kind of close. <laughs> you know? I, 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 won't, I, I won't try to dive any deeper to what you were saying with, with the personal stuff, but can, can I at least ask if everything's better now? Like you're in a much better place now? I mean, yeah. This helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, it's just normal, normal, normal things, man. Stress with bills and, you know, you've been out, I've been out since January. I made half a check in January, you know, and um, yes, that stuff helps, but we're trying to get ahead, so Make it half a check, though. They don't do it for me. I need the whole thing, you know. If we had a, if we would have bonus, that would have been much better. But that wasn't my goal, you know. My goal was to get W, and I got the W. So. So did you move? Like, are you officially moved to Albuquerque, or is that coming like down the coming down the pipe? Coming soon. When is it happening? Within a month. Oh, there you go. Pack up the U-Haul and. Off we go. Oh, it's real. It's real. It's real. I mean, I have to. I have to. If I want to be a world champion, I got to be out there focusing. Here, here, I just can't. I lose focus too easy. It's got to be and surrounded by killers. Big bodies, too. We got all of them in Albuquerque. <laughs> there's, a, there's a ton out there. Watt Adams, you know, he said you said that he was a, a real pivotal person in helping to make this happen, right? Yeah. And uh, I think getting hit by Wally, hit by John Vellante, it's two different things. <laughs> um, the one that John John dropped me with, that was just flush clean on the button. It don't get no better than that. It, it really don't get no better than that. For sure. As you know by now, seeds for your next fight were planted before you probably even got to the building on Saturday by Tanner Bozier. He knocks out Philippe Linz. Gets on with Anik, cuts a promo about some sort of run-in at the pool between the two of you guys. You said when you spoke with the media that it wasn't really a run-in per se, more like just a couple of words exchanged. He said, fight island, crochet boss can come get some. Are you happy with this call-out? Does this make your life a little bit easier? Yeah, I'll fight Tanner any day of the week. Um, he's a little relevant now. Uh, you know, he beat the PFL winner impressively. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he. I just think they didn't favor him to win. So he's gonna lose. Um, yeah, it's a good call. That was a good fight for me. You know, I was the last time that I even heard Tanner Bowser's name. I don't know if it was for my manager or who, but um, they were trying to get me to fight when I was three and zero in the UFC. But I was trying to make, hit the top fifteen. He was debuting. I wasn't trying to fight him. You know, so. No hard feelings, but why would you fight me as debuter when you three on the UFC? You want to move up the, up the rankings, right? 
Right. We don't want to stay stagnant. So, you know, he got a good win behind him. I got a good win behind me. Um, I don't think we're going to make it to Flat Island, though. So, if he wants to go to the island, so you better pick somebody else. Yeah. Look, I got a fucking final. Yeah, I'm about yeah. right there. That's all I got. Well, some little stitches. So, I got to sit for a little while. I'm going to heal his body up, get in there with uh, my, uh, Mike John and Greg Jackson and uh, Jackson Wink and uh, learn how to become a champ. Yeah, most of those cards are full anyway. So, unless, like, they just booked a last second and just three on there, you know, it probably doesn't get the proper build that it would deserve anyways, right? True. True. Yeah. So, what did happen at the pool, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, nothing, man. He was just sitting there with his corner, and I'm sitting there having a casual conversation with him. But he, you know, he kind of looked like he was a little standoffish. And I see why. Now I know what. Now I know why. <laughs> um, but that's all right, though. You know, he, he just wants to fight, probably. Makes sense. To talk to, you know, to call me out. But nothing really happened at the pool. So he kind of kind of overplayed it a little bit. Um, I mean, maybe in my eyes he did, but you know, his hand he could have been he could have been thinking something totally different. I'm on the phone, Jack. That's a good point. Oh, it's all good. I got my son down here too. He's he's like, oh, you're talking to somebody. I'll I'll, I'll try to stay quiet. He's watching yeah, my, something on his my, computer. Right mind don't do that. He'd be like, Dad, 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 Dad. <laughs> Jack, I'm on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened to me from time to time doing these interviews. No doubt about that. So great stuff, man. Congratulations. I know it was a hard battle. It's, it, it, I'm sure there's a million other things you'd rather be doing than talking to me right now, trying to no, trying to rest no, up no. and recoup, man. Well, if I wasn't talking to you, I'd be uh, packing up. So thanks for a little break. There you go. Well, hopefully we get to see you back August, maybe September. I feel that's more of an appropriate timeline for I you. Think, I think it's September. September? If I were to be completely honest with you, if I, if I come back in August, I'm rushing it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to make sure you're ready and be healed up and get a camp in with the new team and all that stuff. So, Maurice, exactly. congratulations, man. Appreciate the time very much. Looking forward to seeing what's next with you. Hopefully you and Tanner Bozier can line it up sometime in the fall. I think that'd be a good fight, absolutely. Between the two of us, I think we can make a real good fight. He got a mullet, I got a mohawk. Let's get it cracking. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, man. All the best to you. Thanks, Mike. It's always a pleasure. There he is, Maurice Green. Obviously, in a little bit of pain after that fight and the training camp and everything that goes on when, when you fight a guy as powerful as John Vellante, but I appreciate him coming on and taking the time to, to join us this week as we head to our final interview of the show. What a story Julian Arosa was. And I detailed it at the top of the broadcast. We'll get into the story more in depth when Julian comes on. But the Cliff Notes version, guy was one and four in the UFC. He's released after his last two fights in the promotion. Not just after the Julio Arce fight. He was released before that fight too. They brought him back, gave him another chance. And then he gets another chance after a win on the regional scene. Gets a short notice call to fight Sean Woodson. And as you'll hear in the conversation... He wasn't the first choice. So following an impressive third round submission win and a performance of the night bonus, let's say hello to Julian Arosa. 
All right, last week was a crazy and uh, a very memorable week for our next guest who returned to the UFC on short notice, and he finished the previously unbeaten Sean Woodson via Darce Choke in the third round this past Saturday in Las Vegas. What a night it was for Juicy J, Julian Arosa. How are you, man? Man, that night was absolutely my uh, the best night I've had in a long, long time. You know, uh, I went from not thinking I'd ever fight in the UFC again to uh, – winning a bonus in the UFC and, and being a fan favorite of the night um, within four or five days. So, uh, you know, it's amazing how things can quickly turn around. It's crazy, man. I was just going to say, because you've had, that was your 24th professional victory in the sport. I can't imagine any of those other wins were anywhere close to this one, right? You know, absolutely not. You know, there's uh, I've had some good battles before and some good wins, um, but Man, you know, it's just like uh, this this last fight really felt like my back was against the wall. And uh, um, and all I've ever really wanted to show uh, everybody was just uh, the true Juicy J. And uh, I think last that last fight really showed it. You know, I've, I've always been one of those guys who uh, who's ultra uh, aggressive and can put the pace on anybody and and uh, and take damage and give damage. But I've always been one of those like, you know, dig deep and. Let's see who can, you know, let's see who will last it out. And I've always been uh, one of those guys in the gym that just kind of outworks everybody. And I just really wanted to showcase that. And uh, I felt like I was able to do that with, you know, just brawling with the guy for the first two and a half rounds and then able to finish him on the ground after that and just showcase, you know, all levels of the game and uh, and just really show my pressure and my aggressiveness. And, um, you know, especially when people thought, probably thought I was coming off the couch or something. You know, I've, I'm always in good shape, but uh, having a say five days notice, uh, it definitely gets people thinking that, you know, I'm going to be lazy or my cardio's not going to be there. But I tell you what, I train hard every day, whether I have a fight or I don't have a fight. So uh, I was ready to go 100%. So I, I do want to go back a little ways because you and I had spoke back in January. I think it was before your fight in February. You won that fight via submission in the first round. It was Cage Sports 60, I think it was. And it was a really fascinating conversation. But a lot of things stuck out, but there are a couple of things that really stood out in that conversation. One, the fact that you were released from the UFC in back-to-back fights. Like you said you were released after the Dawson fight and they brought you back for the for the Julio, Julio Arce fight. And the other thing that really stuck out was you told me that your manager, Jason House, told you that essentially, look, Julian, you're not in the UFC anymore, but I don't think the door has like slammed and locked behind you just yet. So you spoke with the media after and you said, I didn't think this call would ever come, but on a scale of one to 10, where did you sort of rate your chances of, of getting another shot at the UFC, whether for this fight or any time down the road? Well, you know, it, that all depends on, you know, and on when you, uh, you know, ask me that question, you know, like obviously right now it's a different story, but, uh, or even like even the last week or the last couple of weeks, uh, that number would be a lot higher because, you know, Jason was always on my phone line and he was telling me, yo man, these things are coming. These short notice fights are happening. Uh, the UFC needs these guys. They, they need your, your local guys. You got your medicals done in shape, can make weight. They're getting these short notice fights. But, you know, so the last few weeks, I've, I've thought that, you know, it was a high possibility that I might get this short notice fight. But, um, man, when I talked to you last after the Julio Arce fight, man, you asked me that, I would have said there's just zero chance, absolute zero chance. You know, the only thing that made me had a kind of a little bit of a hope was Jason you know, he's always a man of his word and he, and he never kind of bullshits me. And he told me, you know, I know you're not in the UFC and I don't think, I know, I know you don't think you can get back there, but I wouldn't tell you that you could unless I knew for a fact that you could. 
and he's all like, Sean likes you, man. Uh, he's talking about Sean Shelby, and he's like, Sean liked you, and uh, even though you lost to Julio, he liked the first two rounds that you gave him. You know, you know, you're aggressive. You, you know, even he thought you were winning that fight at that point until you lost, and uh, um, and so he, he he didn't close the door on you, man. You know, it's uh, you know anything's possible, and and after you told me that, I had a little bit of hope, but still in my mind, I'm like, I'm one and four in the UFC. Come on, man. Like, like even if I do get another shot, people are gonna be talking crap. You know, it's gonna be you know, difficult for me to, to overstep some other guys that might, you know, also take a short notice fight, you know, like, obviously I was thinking in my head, if it's a short notice fight, there's gotta be guys above me or, you know, guys that they're willing to give the shot to, cause they've given me so many shots as it is. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, I've just been blessed with having a good manager like Jason. And I've really learned through this whole process that it's not necessarily, you know, what you know, but who, you know, a little bit as well. And, uh, I've always thought hard work's going to pay off, but, you got to have someone pushing your name as well and working just as hard as you behind the scenes. Uh, and, and Jason does that. So, um, yeah, you know, the last few weeks I figured it might happen and luckily it did happen for me. And, uh, especially before fight Island, this was the last weekend before fight Island. And I figured there's no way I was going to get taken to fight Island just cause it's, you know, it's such a long way to go. And, uh, I'm here in Vegas. I'm local. I got my medicals done. I'm, you know, I'm in shape. I can make weight. You know, I just I had to wait for that call. And so, uh, it worked out my favor this time. So when were you actually like made aware that a fight with Sean Woodson on that short notice was actually a thing? Like we found out Kyle Nelson wasn't gonna be able to travel to Las Vegas. You could like, when did you know that you could be the guy to replace him or did it just happen like right away? Like, Hey, you ready? You in? Like, how did that all go down? Well, so Jason, uh, had been messaging me probably like Sunday and Monday saying that, there's a fight and it'll be at 150. And uh, just if I could, and he asked me if I could make 145 pounds this weekend. I was like, well, I could for sure make 150, but uh, I'll do every, I'll do, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try to make 145 and not necessarily try. I would have made 45, but uh, I was just, you know, it would have been a little tougher. But um, he told me on, I was actually going to get my blood drawn and it was kind of still up in the air. And Jason's like, let's just get your medicals done. That way you just, just in case. And uh, nothing was for sure. I was, I was, sitting waiting to get my blood drawn and uh my the number to get my blood drawn that got sent over wasn't over yet so they they couldn't blood draw they couldn't bring me in the back and draw my blood yet because the uh the, uh, the uh whatever they needed to to have me do it um uh whatever it is uh, wasn't there yet so i'm just sitting there in the, in the lobby and he's like hey man i'm sorry but they went with uh this other guy from texas and i was all like all right, man, that's okay. And then uh, I ended up taking off because they didn't have the uh, confirmation code to get my blood drawn. And so we took off. And then uh, he calls me back. He's like, hey, man, you should just go get your blood drawn anyways. I was like, all right. I went back and they were closed. It was like 730 and they, the, the place had closed. And I was like, God dang it. So I went back home. And the next morning, I went and got my blood drawn. And while I was driving back from getting my blood drawn, Jason messaged me and he's like, hey, man, I don't think this guy's going to be able to get uh, – uh, license or whatever it was. He, 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 he was saying, I don't know what's going on, but, uh, they might need you. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. And then hung up with me, called me five minutes later and said, yo, we got the fight. And I was all like, I was like, do we really? And he's like, yep. He's like, I'm going to set up your physical. I'm going to set your eye exam up. And I went and did those immediately. And then the next day, uh, did all the other stuff I needed to do. I had to go get Corona tested. I had to get my temperature checked, went to the hotel. And then, um, uh, the next day after that was Thursday, so I usually cut most of my weight on Thursday night. Friday morning, cut the rest of the weight, uh, made weight, ate some food, and then fought. And so it was like, everything was like back to back to back. But 
I really knew 100% on Tuesday that I was going to fight, but I had an idea that it could be a possibility. I mean, you every week, every single week leading up to this, you know, Jason messaged me like, yo, man, this fight fell out and you were on the list, but they went with a different guy. But just be aware, like you were one of the top three guys they were looking to fight. So uh, just be aware that you might be next up. You might be next up. So every week I was like having like a, a weight cut week. I was kind of having fight week for myself every single week. I was training hard, but I was also making sure my weight was low. Um, I, I was just making sure I was checking all the boxes. You know, I just, I didn't want, uh, you know, something my coach always says is, uh, let's eliminate the, the nose, eliminate the nose. You know, is your weight on point? Yes. Uh, are you in shape? Yes. Are you ready to go? Yes. Are you gonna take this fight? Yes. So you got to eliminate the nose. You, know, you can't be sitting 25 pounds heavy, you know, and try to make that within three days. So, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I was eliminating the nose and making sure that I was available for this fight is what really, you know, uh, set it up for me and also having really good management helped me out as well. Wow. So this is like much more of a, almost an emotional roller coaster than I guess previously let on. I didn't realize it was, it was like that, that you were in and you were out and now you're back in again. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, man, it was back and forth. Like, uh, uh, and my, even my manager, Jason house was like, yo man, I'm sorry that it was such an emotional roller coaster for you. And I was like, you know what? I'm super cool, calm and collected as it is. And it's funny because on Tuesday I went to morning practice and then uh, we have sparring on Tuesday and sparring is my favorite day. Cause it's like, it's like a fight. So I'm like, I can't wait to get in there. I've been sparring with Dan Ige and uh, Boston Salman and uh, both those guys, you know, are, are, uh, Boston's not in the UFC anymore, but he was, and Dan's one of the top featherweights in the world. And uh, I was just excited to go spar because uh, I love getting work with those guys. You know, they're like the best in the world. And I was basically going to go, I had a fight. Basically I was getting ready for a fight Tuesday afternoon. And then, uh, uh, cause it was so back and forth. And so I was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna go spars, get my stuff ready to go, you know, get my bag ready. And he's all like, Oh, we got the fight. And I was like, all right, well I gotta put my bag away and, and go do medicals. <laughs> so then I went ran and did medicals. But you know, for me, I love doing this stuff. I love being in the gym. I love, you know, everything about it. I love the process of it. So, um, whether I had a fight or not, I was okay with it. You know, it really didn't, it didn't sway me one way or the other. I know how this game is. This game is, uh, you know, cutthroat and it's ruthless. And, uh, you know, one day you could be on top of the world. The next, you know, you could be, you know, you know, everybody's uh, Twitter feed talking crap. So uh, uh, I've just been really blessed that this opportunity happened in uh, the way it did and was able to showcase, you know, my true uh, abilities on Saturday night. And uh, that's, you know, I'm just so happy about, you know, the situation and, and all the positive feedback from everybody as well. Was it just like, do you feel like this is just the best case scenario for you? Just going in five days notice, you know, you have to do some work to get ready for the fight, the medicals and all that stuff and the Corona tests and everything. But all you have to do is you show up and you fight. Like you cut the weight, you get in there and fight. It takes all the pressure off, takes like all the overthinking away from it. Do you feel like that this is the best case scenario for you to make your return? Oh, absolutely. I remember when uh, the uh, Corona thing happened and they were all having all the fights at the Apex Center. I was thinking, tell my wife, tell my family and tell all my friends and all my training partners. I'm like, man, I so hope they put me in a short notice fight at the apex center because the apex is just like the ultimate fighter I was on, you know, it was like, uh, there's nobody there. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of people, but it's like, you know, it's just similar where there's like hardly anybody. No, there's no fans really. Um, I had four fights in the ultimate fighter. I had a contenders fight. So I had five fights in that exact scenario, you know, where there's nobody you're walking out, there's no fans there. You're just, it's kind of silent. And, uh, kind of weird and weird for most people, but not for me. Cause I've done so many fights there like that. And, uh, so I, I figured that I would excel in that situation because anytime I've ever fought like that, it's always been good. All my ultimate fighter fights were good. I mean, I got caught with my Artem, but 
my contender fight was really good. So I've, I've got, you know, four really good fights minus, you know, four good fights and one bad fight. But, you know, Artem just caught me. It's whatever, you know, that happens in the game. But I've had really good fights and showings in that kind of uh, situation. So I knew that if I was able to fight uh, at the apex with nobody there, that would be more comfortable for me than my opponent. And so I would have that little bit of an advantage on him. And, uh, and then once I got that call, I was like, oh, man, here it is. This is exactly what I've been asking for. And, uh, and you know, it, everything fell into place perfectly. You know, my, all my medicals came back really quick and good. And, uh, you know, weight was good. Weight, weight came off easy. Um, uh, and then obviously it was good, too, because we kind of fought catch weight at 150. So that helped out. Um, but he's a big dude, too. So I'm sure he didn't want to make 100, 146 for him. is probably pretty hard as well. He's six foot three with 79 inch reach. I can't imagine how. I mean, the guy's just built like a freaking alien. I don't know how he does it, but <laughs> a lot of people say that about me. I, they, they're like, man, I don't know how you can make 145 pounds. But I say this. I'm saying the same thing about that kid. And uh, nothing but respect for him and his camp. You know, I know those guys over there uh, at Glory and, uh, you know, uh, uh, his, his coach, uh, uh, James Krause, is a real stand-up guy. And uh, so was Sean. And so, uh, you know, nothing but respect to those guys. But, yeah, it was my night and uh, everything fell into place for me. And, you know, it's kind of one of those Cinderella stories where, uh, you know, you don't think anything is going to happen. And, and within a matter of 15 minutes, you can go from being, you know, the lamb that's going to get slaughtered to everybody, you know, you know, jumping on my Instagram and giving me positive feedback. So, uh, you know, it's been such a blessing. And, uh, you know, it just it just really feels good to kind of give the acknowledgement that I feel I deserve. You know, and I've been doing this for a long time and you and me have had a lot of interviews, you know, before and after wins and losses and stuff. And. Uh, you know, it's finally, it's finally good to be back where I belong with such a big win and talking to you, man. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Sean, Sean is a guy that, that was having a very hard time even finding an opponent just because of the reasons that you mentioned, you know, built like an alien. He's a huge guy for the featherweight division. He's got a really awkward, but effective style on the feet. And you jumped right in there and the first round kind of played out the way, you know, most people probably expected it to Woodson was landing. You were still pushing forward. Like you typically do. You're trying to make it a dogfight, pushing him up against the cage. And it was a fun round. The second round was a lot of fun as well, but you could start to tell, you know, midway, a little after midway through the second round that the momentum of this fight was definitely starting to swing in your favor. Were you starting to feel that as well, that things were starting to, to turn a little bit? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and I can't remember if I was just telling you this or because I've done a bunch of interviews today, but um, uh, I almost uh, compare fighting to like dancing. You know, uh, you know, there's a kind of like an unspoken bond that you have with somebody, you know, it's almost like I, I compare it to dancing because like some people that don't fight, like even if you don't fight, I'm sure you've danced before, you know, and you can kind of feel the vibe and they could do something and you can just kind of go along with it because you just, without even talking to each other, you know, and same with fighting. Like it's almost like a telepathic thing. Like I could start feeling him getting really frustrated and, uh, and it, with the, my ability to take that damage and, and, uh, and once I could feel him doing that, I knew he could also feel my confidence getting higher and higher. And then, uh, and kind of the momentum switching over and, um, uh, in between the second and third round, I thought it was one to one. I thought I'd done enough in the second round to win that round. Um, one of the judges had it two for him, but you know, I'm glad I know now. I mean, I wish I would have known then because I would have, you know, maybe been a little more urgent on that, on the, uh, on taking him down and subbing him out because, uh, I thought it was one to one. I thought the momentum was switched over to me and that, if I just keep pushing the same way I was pushing the second round and landing some good shots that uh, it would give me the decision if it went all the way to the decision. Obviously, I'm trying to finish 100% of the time, you know. But uh, once he had dropped me, 
I there was a switch in my head that said, okay, well, uh, he dropped me in a round and that looks bad on me. So I got to do something and something big. And so uh, as soon as I got up, I went for a flying knee. Even Bisbee kind of went crazy for that, which was, you know, respect out to him for that. Uh, he's like, this guy just got dropped and he just gets up and does a flying knee. <laughs> this guy's crazy. <laughs> and I, so, you know, I had to do things to get like the judges to like kind of forget about him dropping me. And then, uh, you know, uh, I've been working kind of this like sacrifice, sacrificial takedown where, you know, it's hard to take some people down with long legs like that against the cage. You know, it works to their benefit. And so I know that because I'm a long lanky guy myself. And so uh, I knew that if I was able to kind of like I basically barrel rolled him over me and uh, got him to the mat. And then uh, he got up, used the cage, get up again and was able to kind of almost kind of like lift him up and, and throw him again and, and get on top and into a position that I really love to set up my darts choke. So, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't necessarily thinking about subbing him, uh, you know, or, or really jumping on that uh, opportunity until I got dropped. You know, I was like, I figured that I was winning the fight and that, but you know, you can never be too sure. You always got to take it out of the hands of the judges. You know, we see some bad decisions all the time and not even bad decisions, just like, you know, fights that are super close. And even though a lot of people might think you won that fight, they might've given it to the other guy. And, you know, you can't really argue it because if a fight's pretty close, then, uh, you know, it can go either way. And I feel like that fight was getting that on the feet. The fight was close. You know, we were both landing good shots and, uh, you know, you can't just leave it up to the judges every time because you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time. You got to, there's only one person that can control that and that's yourself. And, uh, you know, when I got my hands around his neck and I told my coaches and my, and my corner man, my training partners, and even my wife, I was like, I've been doing so many dart strokes to everybody in the gym. I was like, if this guy gives me his neck, he ain't getting it back. He's tapping for sure. And, uh, you know, first, first attempt at any kind of grappling situation, you know, and it worked out good for me. I knew that that's where I would be, you know, uh, a dominant and effective at, and, you know, I'm lucky that that opportunity presented itself. Yeah, when you pop when you pop Michael Bisbing, he has this energy that is like so infectious and contagious that like when it pops him, it pops like everybody watching at home, you know, and, and that's what happened. It was just one of those scenarios where it was like the perfect right place, right time scenario for you. So when when you actually get the tap, after all this time, the ups and the downs and the releases, to come back and have a fight and a performance like that against a a tough up and coming prospect like Sean Woodson, can you even put it into words, man? Man, I, you know, it took everything of me not to like burst into tears. Cause it was just like, it was everything coming together. You know, it was, uh, all the, you know, the training that I've been doing all, you know, all my training partners and, you know, it's, it's, it's such a, you know, it's such a long road. And for me to lose three UFC fights, you know, it, it's, it's not only draining on me, but my teammates and my coaches and my family, and my friends, you know, I, me losing, it's whatever to me. You know, I I get beat up every day, man. That's what I love to do. But, you know, the toll that it takes on my family and my friends and everybody around me that believes in me, that's the part that really puts a, you know, uh, really like, you know, makes me feel really bad. It's just like how bad they feel if I lose, you know. And, and uh, after I got that, once I had them locked in, all I was thinking was I'm going to squeeze everything I have into this and I'm going to tap them. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm just going to, you know, get up and just look at my coach because, he, you know, he's had, he's had it pretty rough. You know, the last, you know, some of my teammates are Tim Elliott, Gina Mazzani, Gustavo Lopez, uh, Joe's Joseph Benavides. And all four of those guys just lost their last fights. Joe lost his uh, title fight. Um, Tim lost a fight after that. Gina lost the fight after that. And then, um, Gustavo lost a short notice fight after that as well. And, you know, 
it really takes a toll on all the, you know, on everybody, you know, we needed something to bring us all up and everybody knows how hard I work in this gym. We all work hard, you know? And, uh, you know, I felt like it was a relief off everybody's shoulders. You know, it was like one of those things that it was just, it was, uh, it just, it was beyond words, you know? And, uh, you know, my coach started crying and it, it took everything for me not to start crying, you know, even right now talking about it kind of gets me teary, but, uh, you know, just so much hard work that, you know, I've put into this. It's like, I finally get the recognition and I finally was able to finish a fight that I really wanted to, and, and no matter that I really wanted to, you know, I used to do that on the regional show all the time. And I'm like, man, if I get to the UFC and I do this, these guys is going to be amazing. And it just, it never happened, never happened, never happened. And this was finally that fight that happened. And, you know, getting a bonus like that, just, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, enhances it all, you know, or just, uh, you know, just kind of shows that I deserve to be here and that, uh, you know, I, I fought my ass off and, you know, you know, it was a well-deserved win. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing win. It was an amazing fight. You get a performance bonus to boot. And, you know, for a long time, you were the uh, the front runner for fight of the night as well until Poirier and Hooker got on that cage. And you probably knew after the first round that the double bonus uh, was was likely not going to happen, right? You know, I was, you know, it's so funny because uh, uh, I was already at my, I was already at my apartment by the time, by the time they started fighting because that's how quick they turn around at the uh, apex. You just in and out and they just get you moving, which is, I, I kind of like that. But so I'm watching that Dan Hooker fight and uh, Dan Hooker and a uh, Poirier fight. I'm like, man, why can't this be the Curtis blades and Volkov fight, man? Like, <laughs> Cause then I could get a double bonus and people were posting, like give that kid a hundred G's. And like, you know, I don't like to like, you know, count my eggs before they hatch, but you know, I was just happy with the outcome and I didn't even know, you know, we, we went over to my manager's house afterwards and I celebrated a little bit and just got to hang out. And I had no idea I won a bonus until I was at his house. And he looks at me and he goes, he's like, yo, we got it. And I was all like, what are we getting? And he's all like 50 G's. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, it's like, you know, life-changing money. And I was fighting for 20 G. I was 20, fighting for $20,000. You know, if I won, you know, I was getting 14 and 14. So 50 grand's almost double that. And, uh, uh, and so it's life-changing money for a guy like me. And for upcoming fighters and stuff, and uh, you know, especially guys that are, I mean, we struggle out here. You know, it's fighting is not an easy way to make money. People think that it's like, you know, some glorified sport, but it's, you know, this is the hardest of the hard. It's like wrestling. You know, it's a, it's one of those things that uh, you have to do because you love. Because uh, you know, it's it's the hard one of the hardest ways to make a living. But uh, you know, uh, I knew after I watched about two and a half rounds of the, uh, of the hooker and Poirier fight before we took off to my manager's house. And, and I was like, you know, <laughs> there's absolutely, I was actually hoping that they, one of them was going to get knocked out quick. Cause then it'd be like, they would get a performance and then me and that dude might got a fight of the night or whatever. Uh, but I figured no matter what, I mean, regardless of, uh, bonuses or whatever, I just was happy to get the win and, uh, to probably get a guaranteed another fight in the UFC. That's all I was really looking for. And all I was looking for was just to perform to my, you know, uh, to my, uh, to, to my abilities. And, uh, I was able to do that and that's what, you know, I was really looking for, but you know, 50 G's on top makes it a whole lot better. I tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> you get a couple bruises, a couple stitches, extra 50 G's. So that kind of balances the scale a little bit, but hey, I love, I love this stuff. I love getting bruised up, but you know, people, you know, some people don't like to get punched in the face, but I actually enjoy that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's all pluses to me. When do you want to get back? I mean, I know we don't let you savor the flavor for too long, but what, you know, when are you thinking to you want to get back to follow that up and try to keep this train moving? 
Uh, yeah, you know, uh, they've been really giving out a lot of like uh, suspensions for hard fights. Uh, and uh, I got a cut over my eye. And so they told me 30 to 45 days uh, for that. So that leaves me like mid to late August, uh, possibly to fight again. But, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I got a couple bangs and bruises and, you know, I want to, you know, I want to get into, if I'm going to start getting ready for a fight, I want to, you know, get over all the bumps and bruises. So I have like a healthy fight camp, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to extend any of these injuries. And so, um, and nothing's injured really. It's just more bumps and bruises, but, uh, I'm hoping maybe September, like mid any, actually really any time in September, I think would be good. Um, I don't know the UFC schedule. I know they're going to uh, the Yaz Island. Um, for all of august and then july or no july yeah and then they're coming back here for august and then i don't know what they're doing in september if they're going to keep doing fights here in september if they're going back to fight island or wherever they're doing um so you know maybe i'll just kind of see what's going on with that but uh obviously i want to sit down with my coaches and my uh and my management kind of see you know certain opponents that we could be looking forward to and uh you know kind of setting something like that up uh you know i feel like i uh, I feel like my first run after the ultimate fighter, um, uh, after I got cut the first time and I got my second shot with, and I was 0 and three, I felt like I was being desperate. You know, I, you know, I took Devonte Smith on 10 days notice and got knocked out. And then I took, uh, Grant Dawson. Uh, I had a fight camp for that, but I had an ear infection. I was on antibiotics and it, you know, I just, I was fighting desperate. I wasn't like, uh, being smart about things. I really want to just take this uh, this, this go of it a little smarter than before. You know, I want to, want to pick, you know, pick my, my, you know, pick my opponents a little bit better, pick my timing a little bit better. And if something like that happens where I do get an ear infection, have, you know, I need to, I need to listen to people and just pull out, you know, I need to be, I don't need to be a hundred percent, but I need to, you know, if I'm on antibiotics, you, I can't be fighting, you know, and, uh, you know, that was a mistake by my part. I should have done that. You know, I should have sat back and just rescheduled that fight. And, uh, but I was worried, you know, I was worried about getting cut. I got knocked out the fight before that and I was just jumping on it. And I felt like I was just being desperate in that sense. So um, I want to take the desperate, the desperate acts out this time. I want to just be a little bit smarter about it and, uh, and just enjoy it too, you know, just really enjoy this win, move on, find a good opponent and, you know, enjoy my next fight in the process up to that. So uh, I'm hoping maybe mid to late September or whenever, <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll see what the schedule's like and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully sooner than later. And then last thing for me, uh, you know, kind of going back to that conversation we had in January, you had mentioned that, you know, you didn't really want to walk away from the sport, but like you had mentioned in this conversation, you know, some of your family members, friends, they were like, eh, I don't know, man, like we're, we're worried about you. But at the end of the day, they all still had your back. So what do you want to say to all the people who have believed in you, even when the chips are down? Because I think it's an important lesson in the sport for some of the up and comers, especially to know who is truly in your corner and who is there when everything is, you know, just coming up roses. And I'm sure that's something you've experienced at some point in your career. You know, when you're winning, everybody wants to hang out and drink beers with you. And when you have a couple losses, you don't hear from again. So, you know, what do you want to say to those people who have been there since day one and, and haven't even wavered for a second? You know, that's, that's what means everything to us, especially being like a regional scene, a, a, re, a regional scene fighter. When you're fighting, let's find cage sport. <laughs> We ain't getting paid big money. We ain't even getting paid medium money. We're getting paid, you know, we're getting paid for our... Oh, do we lose him? Oh, no. Oh. Oh, there he is. Sorry about that. Someone was trying to call me. Um, uh, But, yeah, I, that means everything. So we're getting paid nothing uh, on the regional scene. So it was literally those, those people were the only people that were uh, 
really driving me, you know, giving me my drive and my, uh, and, you know, making me want to fight. I wanted to fight for the fans, you know, I wanted to fight for everybody that was stuck behind me and believed in the dream. And, uh, so that's why I went back to cage sport and fought, you know, it, it didn't make a difference what I was getting paid. I was doing it because of everybody around me who supported me. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to see, uh, you know, how many people will stick by you. You know, I'm from a smaller town too. So everybody, uh, everybody, uh, uh, knows who I am in Yakima and, you know, they give me nothing but love. And, uh, you know, obviously coming off a win like this, everybody kind of coming out of the woodwork again, but, uh, you know what, it's all love. And, you know, I appreciate everybody. I, you know, there's a lot of people that message me and be like, man, I didn't really know who you were, but I'm a huge fan of you now. You know, that, you know, just the heart that you showed, it was inspirational. And I, you know, uh, so even, even new fans, you know, if they're just trying to jump on the bandwagon, it's all good, you know, positive vibes are positive vibes. And, you know, I appreciate it from everywhere, but, uh, yeah, everybody that has supported me from day one, man, it just, you know, really goes to show that if you put the hard work in, man, you can make it back. And, you know, a lot of people give up if they get cut from the UFC the first time. So, you know, for me to get cut multiple times and be back, just like, you know, it's just, like I said, you know, it's kind of that Cinderella story, you know, you just got to keep putting the work in. And I figured if I was in the gym training with some of the best in the world, there's going to be coaches seeing me. There's going to be managers seeing me. There's going to be people seeing me and knowing that I deserve to be here. And eventually something's going to happen, whether it was any, you know, a big a different organization or whatever it was. Um, and so, you know, I'm always just, you know, having a good time and enjoying the process. So, uh, but you know, I don't want to ramble on, but yeah, uh, I, you know, everybody around me, all my friends and family have, They've stuck by my side, you know, you know, some, it's an unorthodox way to make, you know, make a living and it's a weird career, but, uh, you know, people have shown me nothing but love in my town and all my friends and family have as well. So, you know, thanks. Thanks to everybody. Really. Congratulations, Julian. What really, what, what a story this is. I, I love the Cinderella story reference. I think that makes all the sense in the world. I am very happy for you. All the best to you. Enjoy the victory. I'm sure we'll talk again soon before the next one, man. All right. Much love, brother. Take care. Just incredible stuff right there from Julian Arosa. What a moment it was for him on Saturday night, and I'm really happy for him. I've been interviewing Julian for a long time, as he stated on the broadcast, after wins, after losses, in the UFC, out of the UFC, and just amazing to watch that all go down on Saturday night against a really game guy in Sean Woodson. Sean will be back. He looked pretty darn good in that fight until he got finished. He probably won the first two rounds. And uh, Sean will, will, will take a lot away from that fight. So he'll be back. Julian Arosa will be back. And he'll be back with a, with a victory behind him and an extra 50 Gs in his bank account. But that'll do it for this week's What the Heck on MMAFighting.com. Thank you all so much for watching, listening, for the words of encouragement. I mean, it, it really means a lot. I'll be honest. It's been a, it's been a bit nerve-wracking coming into this gig, trying to fill some massive shoes this is my first real opportunity in this space after grinding away for such a long time as a freelancer, and it's been the best professional decision of my career, no doubt about it. So for those of you who have enjoyed what we've been doing, thank you very much. For those who haven't, thank you very much. That's okay, too. I see you, and all it does is uh, it makes me push even harder. But, but that's it. No UFC this weekend. Invicta FC is back tonight. Invicta FC 40. Uh, Emily Takate versus Juliana Lima is the main event. And then we found out earlier this week that Invicta's got another card coming up on July 30th. That's going to be a real good one as well. But we'll have you covered uh, with Invicta FC 40 on MMAfighting.com with results and 
all the big news that came out of that event. And then it is on to Fight Island next weekend for the UFC and MMAfighting.com. We will be there the entire time on Fight Island. Big thank you to Casey Lydon on the production side. Big thank you to Esther Lynn on the graphics. And a big thank you to all of you for watching the program. And as always, have a heck of a week, everybody. Vox Media Podcast Network.